keeping doses low, keeping uh, blood levels more stable. Um, Dave's right as well. As soon as people sort of, there's a few people that have sworn Trent off sort of after too many times. Um, Some of them go back though. Uh, I think it's it's got a pull, doesn't it? Um, I, I think it's a bit like pregnancy, uh, childbirth, and I know that will sound weird, but it's almost like so women women will tell tell you that childbirth is the most horrendous pain ever, but once they've passed, they want to do it again because they look at the positives, which was the birth of their child, rather than the negatives, which was the pain. And I think it's very much with trend. You start to diminish mentally the traumatic experiences of it because you don't want to focus on that. Actually, our brains don't want to focus on that. We, we diminish those things. That's how we cope with them. And you just focus on the positive. So you then get this twisted perception that drives you back. And then when you go back, it's like, now I remember why I didn't want to use it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland of Scott McNally. And today, we are joined by, I'm going to call you like the trend researcher, Tim Piankowski. We we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Uh, Dave, I had the opportunity to meet Tim and hang out with him when I was in Australia. And uh, he's doing all sorts of awesome stuff. So where do we want to start with this thing? I'd say uh, let's, talk, let's talk trend because I think that's mm-hmm. like... The trend researcher. No, what? First of all, there isn't really a lot of research done about trend, is there? No, no. Uh, particularly not from a, a social sciences perspective. Okay, and that's that's what you're focusing on more. So, what can you tell us a little bit about what your research looks like? Certainly. So, uh, particularly with the trend project. Um, we're, we're looking at a mixed methods study. So originally I published um, a study this year. You, you might have seen it uh, on, on Vigorous Steve's um, YouTube. Uh, and it, I interviewed a number of elite powerlifters. Um, and trends sort of came up organically. It came up um, just as uh, everybody was talking about it. Uh, okay. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of hype. Um, there's a lot of myth and legend around it. Um, everybody sort of spoke about the psychosocial harms of trend. Um, and so, uh, I thought that was worth capturing. Um, but I don't, uh, I wanted to look at it specifically. And so really capture a more balanced, a more nuanced, um, view. So okay. the good and the bad. And so got funded to do some, um, a deeper dive. Uh, so there's a survey component looking at psychological distress and aggression, uh, looking at current, lifetime, and non-Trendalone users, and looking at comparisons across a uh, number of those, um, I guess we'll call it psychometric um, battery. And then alongside that, I'm doing uh, a number of interviews, and in those interviews, really diving into the lived experience of people uh, who've, who've used Trend uh, and how they, they found that, um, what their experience was, uh, what the dose was, how many weeks, the good, the bad, how many times, um, and really just interrogating, uh, I guess, how, what transpired, uncharacteristic behavior, um, if they didn't experience it, why, what were the other effects, um, and really trying to document uh, as much as possible. I, I feel like that it's so 
you know, it's so dependent on the individual. You know, there's so much just different individuality with trend use. And Dave, I know you've seen this too. You can give trend to one guy and he's totally fine. Another guy, you're eight weeks out from a contest prep. He's been sailing along. He's been waiting to add that trend in. And you add the trend in and two weeks later, he's like, oh, no, man, I, I feel terrible. I don't even want to do this show anymore. Like, I've literally seen it change people's perspective to a complete 180. Uh, but so much of it is dependent on the individual, uh, the dosing, their experience level. I can tell you personally that my first experience with trend was way different than my fifth experience. Like I had so much more control over myself, almost you could say, by the time I knew what was going on. So how how do you um, how do you qualify all all of these different factors? So I think uh, if I can share some preliminary. I guess, yeah. data from it. Uh, and I think we spoke about this uh, a little bit, um, both when we met and, and recently, just that sweet spot seems to be between uh, <laughs> nobody's first time, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but generally, that 60 milligram to about 150 right. milligram dose per week for, for men, uh, for, for women, different. Um, but there seems to be uh, in in and around there for no longer than four weeks, um, and the more stable you can keep those blood levels. So every mm. day, depending if uh, if you're up for it, um, then then there seems to be less reported both phys physical as well as psychosocial side effects. So you know people saying, oh, I'm not getting the night sweats as bad. I'm not getting the dreams. Uh, I'm not having any cough. Although, you know, there's, there's a variety of factors there. Um, I'm not stinking up the sheets as much um, or all those sorts of things. I, you know, I'm not, um, not feeling as, as snappy or as impatient. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, their first experience isn't necessarily a good one. Um, yeah at least from, from a physiological perspective, um, they get, get some good benefits there. Um, and then they go back for those benefits. Um, but try and find a little bit more control, a little bit more self-awareness, a little bit, you know, finding these strategies. And so that's another thing that, um, I guess to answer your question, what I'm documenting, what strategies are they using? Hmm. How are they mitigating the harms? And then can we, uh you know spread that through public health or social media messaging can we get that that out there from the more experienced um people and what did you say that dosing was 60 to 150 <clears throat> looks like pe people have said um minimal sides reported um from 60 to about 150 milligrams a week for, for men. week now dave that's pretty close to what you used in your last trend cycle isn't it between 60 to 150 milligrams per week per hour yeah per hour <laughs> you were at you were at what one point what grams a week yeah that's a lot of trend man it is i mean i would argue that 60 milligrams isn't worth fucking bothering with to be quite frank um there's Nothing. I, I know you're looking more at the social and emotional and sort of that side of behaviour, but the thing is with trend, there's an accumulative damage impact as well. 
this is why you'll see guys be fine, 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 then all of a sudden have a problem because they just get to the point where the cumulative damage is too much. Um, have you look? Are you looking in this um, about the prolonged effect post usage as well? Mm-hmm. So trying to capture where, whether they have that dip afterwards. Yeah. No, not a, so. Fifty percent of the. Yeah, we can hear academic. Go but, ahead. You, we um, couldn't hear. We couldn't hear what you said there. You broke up on all that. Sorry. Well, last time I looked at training, it was very informal. It wasn't very structured, which is why I don't get on with a lot of academics because I don't do structure very well. But um, what I was seeing was of the percentage of people that had issues, which was roughly two thirds, approximately half of that. So approximately a third of all users had long-term issues moving forward, even though they'd finished with the trend. Hmm. Um, one of the big issues I find with self-analyzation within bodybuilding is that people, particularly bodybuilders are particularly bad for this, but everybody is. There's a large amount of cognitive dissidence. There's a large amount of detachment from what's going on with themselves. And there's a large amount of self-justification because they don't truly reflect because they don't want to, because if they do, they have to face the conversation about not doing drugs anymore. Um, so you get a lot of people that will say, oh, I don't have any problems, but if you actually track them, and yeah. I've done this socially, just by monitoring people's social, it sounds very stalkerish, I know, but actually monitoring people's social media, you can see behavioral changes. And I know what they're on because they've told me what they're saying. And you can see, but they're saying, oh, I have no problems with it. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. There was this, 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 this. There's all these outbursts that are uncharacteristic to how you've acted in the previous several months. So it's, yeah, I mean, trends are very, very powerful drug. There's, there's no two ways about it. But I think we're only scratching the surface of, of what it can and does do. Is that that something, Tim, that you've considered the fact that somebody somebody who's reporting their negative experiences from the compound may be doing it through like rose colored glasses because they don't really want to look at, you know, the the true effect it's having on them? Of course. And and fantastic point from um, from Dave. I mean, yes, everybody um, is. No, nobody's safe from having this, you know, rationalizing sense of, ah, oh, I'm all good. I want to keep using the drugs because um, I want to keep using the drugs, whatever the, the drugs are. Um, I think one other, one element that's going to capture that is hopefully the survey and being that we'll have a mix of groups there, people who are lifetime trend users but not currently using trend reporting on these measures, people who've never used trend reporting on these measures, and then current trend users reporting on the measures, and we can do a bit of a group comparison and see if there's significant differences between those groups. One other interesting little uh, piece to this study, and I've got an honours student who's finishing this up now, is um, so he looked into um, a bunch of forums, Australian bodybuilding um underground lab forums, things like that, scraped out the posts specifically around trend. Hmm. And 
analyze those. And I forgot to mention this when we spoke last time, but I think this will add an interesting piece to the puzzle. It's super ethnographic um, in terms of, you know, what is the information around trend being sought, being shared? What are the, you know, without actually self-reporting in a research setting, what's the attitudes around it? And I think that'll be quite uh, a nice third piece to this sort of puzzle that I'm trying to put together. Um, but did, I think, sorry, Dave. So did you say you were talking to X users as well, or just users that have used, but aren't currently using? Cause I find there's a very strong, different perspective when you speak to X users. So 100%. when you speak to people that have moved away from drug use completely, i.e. they're just using TRT and nothing more, and they're no longer interested in that, that drive you you get a very different review at that point from the same person as you would when they were current. I spoke to a lot of pros that have retired uh, and the conversations that we had whilst they were in the game are starkly different when they come out of it because it's the first time they look back at what they, they felt or experienced reflectively because now they're outside the box looking in, whereas previously they were in and couldn't see it because it was the norm. Uh, in, in Yeah, I mean, um, are you looking at any of the health stuff alongside that, or are you just looking at the self-reported impacts? Uh, for this one, just just self-report. So what, what drugs, how much, uh, any other drugs, things like that. But I think down the track would want to get some, some blood markers there as well would be handy. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. What about uh, you mentioned that one of the things you're recording are um, the strategies that people are using to mitigate issues from their trend use. What are the trends that you're seeing in that? It's interesting to see you because you're kind of looking at a cross section of these people that Dave and I and well, you too, we're talking to every day. And I've seen over the past two decades, those strategies have evolved what are you seeing today are the popular strategies for controlling issues? Mm. So definitely, you know, nobody's unaware of the progesterone related side effects. So, yeah, everyone's got Prami or Caber on hand. Um, not that they're necessarily going to need it at the low doses if they are, but there's, I mean, that's gotten out there. It's nice to see that's out there. Um, I think, like I said earlier, keeping doses low, keeping uh, blood levels more stable. Um, Dave's right as well. As soon as people sort of, there's a few people that have sworn trend off sort of yeah. after too many times. Um, some of them go back though. Uh, I think it's it's got a pull, doesn't it? Um, I, I think it's a bit like pregnancy, uh, childbirth. And I know that will sound weird, but it's almost like, so women women will tell, tell you that childbirth is the most horrendous pain ever. But once they've passed, they want to do it again because they look at the positives, which was the birth of their child, rather than the negatives, which was the pain. And I think it's very much a trend. You start to diminish mentally the traumatic experiences of it because you don't want to focus on that. Actually, our brains don't want to focus on that. We, we diminish those things. That's how we cope with them. And you just focus on the positives. So you then get this twisted perception that drives you back and then when you go back it's like now i remember why i didn't want to use this shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean that's that's part of it so a lot of people spoke about 
you know, those strategies that I just mentioned, like very pragmatic things, but also, you know, uh, making sure health was... So once, definitely not the first time, but once they went back for, you know, a second dip or a third dip, they, uh, in into the, you know, the trend foray, um, they started sort of looking for ways to decrease that. So making sure that all health markers were good before, you know, jumping in, uh, making sure they had somebody there objectively to help monitor mm. what was, whether, you know, hey, bro, am I off? Like, am I actually, they acknowledge that there could be uh, this sense of distortion, distorted perception going on, um, making sure, you know, there was no instances of, there, there was low stress in life. Um, there was no other, you know, uh, factors that could contribute to um, psychosocial distress or anything like that. I think I'll also mention that it was very different between people who were, you know, working towards a contest prep versus people who were working towards a, a three lift um, prep um, and then people working towards, you know, strongman or something like that. It was, you know, if, if you want to turn them like strength athletes would definitely be like, I'm going to use this as a tool. I'm going to use it for this, you know, four, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, and, you know, they'd consulted with coaches or they were coaches themselves. So they had a bit more, uh, they knew what they were doing. They also could push the doses higher and they acknowledged that, you know, they were going to ramp up to 600, 700, 800 milligrams. Um, nobody got to 1.5, Dave. Or <laughs> they got close. No. <laughs> um, definitely a few one one grammars there, um, but just knew there was an awareness of I I know what the roller coaster that I'm putting myself into is, and I'm going to do these things, and it's going to be short, and we're going to ramp into it, um, and you know hold on with two hands. Um, We've got think- uh, Scott Stevenson's with us, Dave. He, he mm-hmm. asked I being yeah well he, he said uh selective recall bias was that term that, that we're yeah that we were looking for and he also asked um any comparative data data uh perceptual effects of trend versus other aas mm-hmm. great question so definitely people uh and that was one of the questions that i specifically had in the um, interview schedule asking is trend in a class of its own? Does it sit outside of, you know, um, compare, you know, comparing to other compounds and every resounding yes, of course, you know, um, things like testosterone, you can run it, uh, uh, as Dave sort of said, TRT year round HRT, you know, you can cruise along like that. Um, perhaps with some DHT as, uh, derivatives as well, you know, Primo or, or Mars, just alone. Um, you see them in for long periods. Trend definitely not like that. Um, people were that had some experience knew that that was reserved for a reason, um, and they they'd reach for it a little bit more carefully. Anybody that was a little bit newer um, definitely didn't have that sort of reflexivity, mm. um, and then they were you know. Um, popping up the doses, running it for 20 weeks. So there was reports of running it for, you know, um, 20 plus weeks and 
I think Dave's point about accumulated damage um, really resounds there because I suppose it just hadn't caught up yet, um, perhaps because they were a little bit younger, hadn't done as many uh, cycles, if you want to term them that, and then there was still, uh, you know, or, or that level of awareness wasn't there or life stress was low, you know, things like that. So definitely a big difference, though. What about trend E versus trend A? I Wait, go on. You got something else, Dave? I, I, I suspect age plays a large role. Um, mm. Not so much in the effects, but more in the management of the effects. When you're 18, 19, 24, you're full of common stupid and, and don't have a clue what really is your mindset. You know, I mean, you're not that in touch with who you are when you're in your 40s and 50s, you sort of know the person you are, so you sort of see and reflect changes. Where at 20, 24, you're spontaneous, you're all over the place anyway. So I think though the impacts are there, they're not as recognisable because they get muddied with everything else that is impulsive about somebody of that age. Um, And you've usually, not always, but a, a fair example of your long-term trend runners is that usually there'll be cross-polymer drug use in there, or at least alcohol in there. Um, so you're also, this is going to sound really bad, but you're sort of dealing with a certain level of education, intelligence with certain parties of use as well. And they're not interested in educating themselves about it because they're just that's not their primary. Their primary is I want to be massive and look good and get shags. Um, and so that becomes their priority over else, where when you're, you're late 30s, 40s, or you're more competitive or more long-term, you start to have a more conscious health background where you're starting to go, yes, but at what cost, at what longevity, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think age plays a massive influence on terms of duration and dose. Mm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Hey, what's up, guys? I have a lot of people who reach out to me on a regular basis who are trying to more effectively reach their goals. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they're not getting enough protein. And there's only so much chicken breast we can eat through the day, but we can easily add a high-quality protein supplement to boost those numbers up. True Nutrition has just about every protein powder you can think of from high-quality weight isolate. If you don't tolerate lactose, then you could use their beef isolate, or you could use their pea protein isolate if you don't eat animal products. They literally have everything you think of. I've believed in them for like a decade before they advertised with us. And they they never went out of their way to say like, hey, we want to promote our stuff through you. I literally asked them because it's a company that I believe in. And at the end of the day, I want to see you guys reach your goals as effectively as possible. So if you use our code, think at True Nutrition, you'll get some savings, you'll help to support our programming, and you'll get some high quality products to more effectively reach your goals faster. That's all right. I, I just wanted to ask, though, because I've seen personally as a coach and in my own life, differences in the way people will respond to long acting trend, uh, you know, a trend in FA versus a, a fast acting trend like like trend ACE. It, was there anything accounted for in that? And did you see any differences in the issues people had between the fast acting and long acting compounds? Yeah, great point, Scott. I think uh, and it'll be interesting to see what um, the survey data shows with this as well, once I split that up, um, from the interviews, the qualitative stuff, a lot of people, or the, the people that I guess spoke to using both, 
definitely there was a preference for switching to E after having used A only because, uh, and I guess their perception was perhaps it was again, young first time use, um, using A, it was just a sharp increase. They were pinning, you know, every other day pinning, um, you know, a mil, mil and a half. So what's that? 7,500 milligrams at a time. Um, probably just a very sharp increase and therefore a real shock to the system. Um, and probably felt a bit smoother on E. Mm. Although again, I feel like people pin E too often. And so it probably accumulates over time. Right. Yeah. And then that's where that accumulated damage that sort of Dave spoke about might come up as well. Cause really they're ramping up particularly week three, week four. Um, and it's not, you know, no longer anywhere in the hundred, 150 milligrams. They're probably hitting, um, a lot closer to, to 250, 300. Um, it's such so so much little less oil. I've fallen into that where you're like, eh, I'm going to start with 200. That'll be plenty. And then before you know it, you're like, well, why don't I just do four? You know, it's it's still need another <laughs> milliliter. You know, I think one of the big influencing factors between Ace and Tran is the stability. With with Ace, you're getting massive neuron uptake activity, and then it's dropping, and then it's spiking, and then it's dropping. Where with the E, it's more more of a consistent trigger. So though the total circulating milligram is probably going to be high with E, you're not getting this in the influences that it has. And I think that's what's probably why most report ACE being a little bit more difficult to handle, not just the fact that the initial spike is so high in relative terms and so immediate in relative terms, but just that you've also got that drop-off, then spike, that drop-off, then spike, that drop-off, then spike which is obviously playing havoc around neuron activity and the, the brain triggers that it actually has. So um, I would have thought E, even though at greater doses, because it's going to be a smoother delivery, you're not getting as much fluctuation within brain chemicals as you would do from the A's. Well, I think that's why people favoured it as well, like over perhaps not the first time. I think the only people that aren't favoring it uh women that i've spoken to that are using it mm. and that's simply because they want it in and out quick um and they wanted it in and out quick when they did use it in case sides got too much or or in case you know things started coming up they kept it pretty short um and and i think they do that with quite a few compounds as well um these were quite high level uh experienced users as well I think I think most people a good first start anyway because it will give sort of give you the worst case scenario but you're rid of it so quickly that if you don't get on if you get on with ace you know you're going to get on with n5 where if you don't get on with ace well you know I can step down and try n but I know I need to go into it cautiously because I didn't get on with ace at all I think the other thing that we're sort of grappling with as well is, you know, the guarantee that what I'm using is Tranace, at ah. whatever dosage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, uh, it's not Tranhex at, you know, 10 milligrams per mil or whatever um, is the other real struggle here that probably is half the tripper, really. I have to yeah, ask. I mean, 
So you interviewed a lot of people on this. Uh, I, I have to ask, what are some of the more extreme accounts that you had heard from folks? So definitely a gram a week um, for prolonged, like we're talking 12, 16 weeks plus, um, easy, definitely um, <laughs> realizing that there was some uncharacteristic behavior occurring um, and not laughing like at the, at the participants or anything sure. like that. I just reflect on, um, I guess, my experiences with Tren. Um, and, and I can have a, a bit of a laugh about what that's like, um, when you're, you know, deep in the hole and you, you want to keep using, uh, and ignore, you know, everything that's going on, but definitely gram a week for 16 plus weeks, uh, 12, 16 plus weeks, um, you know, heavy, heavy sides, like sweating, coughing, uh, horrendous nightmares, um, very vivid nightmares as well, like consistently, yeah. Um, that bled into the day. So mm. started. Um, some people started having a bit of like reality confusion, like, oh, did that really happen? Did that not happen? Um, but, you know, kept using um, despite that, um, you know, sort of blurred lines. Um, a lot of people really, <laughs> like there was so much sweating through bed sheets, um, you know, uh, and and the just the trend smell and the the you know um, associated sort of toxicity um, that everybody was like, well, you know, this is just part of the the package. Um, definitely, there there were a few instances where people reported um, some level of uncharacteristic behaviour that did include interpersonal violence, um, mm. which they you know on reflection weren't. Um, necessarily happy about um and obviously you know there was a lot of impulse control there so it's yeah. good to capture that i was surprised that it was so low though and a lot of people uh or a high proportion reported not having those issues so that was actually really surprising for me mm. a lot of people said uh there was a level of self-awareness there didn't uh you know didn't get caught up in in doing this um yeah yeah, lots of a bit of polysubstance use as well, Scott. So, you know, a um, bit of, <laughs> you know, using trend and then going through a, a ball of Coke um, on the weekend, um, oh things like that. Yeah, yeah. So you always you hear the term, the, the divorce <laughs> in a bottle. How many people reported that they broke up with their significant other? Yeah, oh, man, cute. Relation, uh, I think at least... 60% of people use the term break up in a bottle or some yeah. version of, of what you just said. Uh, definitely yeah. a lot of um, relationship difficulties. So with with whoever it was, whether it was girlfriend, fiance, partner, um, and then, you know, the coming to afterwards, like, oh, what have I done or what's happened? And either being able to piece it together or, or not. Yeah. Um, and then what do you do when it's it's not coming together? Probably turn back to the trend or turn back to, you know, um, invest your energy back into into lifting and with lifting might come those those patterns again. Yeah. Any yeah. sexual problematic behavior. Oh, of course. Dave, how could I forget? 
I'm not on about dysfunction. I'm on about. No, no, I know what you're on about. I know what you're yeah. on about. Um, I've spoken to so many partners that have said their their partner is almost scary when they're on trend with how their sexual appetite is. Yeah. So from from both uh, men and women. A massive increase in sex drive, absolutely huge and unlike any other compound comparatively. Um, and just like the level of stimulation needed increases significantly. I think out of um, the interview sample, we're looking at maybe uh, a small handful um, of a couple that didn't report that. Um, and again, low dose. Um, the higher the dose, the more wild the fantasies or the activities got. Did you see them trying to play those fantasies out? I mean, was that something uh, that was off that it was? So the re- the, the reason I'm, I'm going this route is obviously it's been coined a drug or, or terms of that effect. And I'm sort of of the opinion that it is possible for it to drive someone to that point where the consensual element of sex might start to get slightly disregarded in a relationship situation, not particularly someone's going to hunt someone down on the street, but in a relationship situation. And I've had partners, you know, say that they felt almost threatened by the partner and this sort of stuff. So I was just wondering if that bore out with what you were seeing. I think in a softer, in a softer version, like, oh, my poor missus, um, or, you know, things like that, um, or, you know, uh, just that the ones that did have a partner definitely acknowledged what that meant for, for the other person and how tiring that was. I think, uh, a few reported that's part of the reason they stopped the, you know, um, I do remember an account where somebody did say that their partner actually liked that, that they, you know, felt really wanted and it was a, a good experience for them as yeah. a couple. Um, but I think certainly I've, I know what you mean, Dave. I've heard, I've seen the stuff from the, the UK. Um, somebody chased somebody down the street on, on trend um, or something like that. And there's been a few accounts in um, that I've seen where, um, definitely the, the like fantasies or things like that have been spoken about or mentioned. So um, it's a, I think it's a fine line and there's a level of impulse control there, isn't there? Yeah, I've, I've had partners complain that it's been, they, they sort of, how they describe it was the sex within them was no longer loving. It became very physical, but it also became slightly fearful for them because there was a, they said you could feel a tension and a point and it was like, you know, they only feel to be a, a snap decision away from sort of putting me in the face and going that extra mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they felt mm-hmm. on edge when they had sex with the partners because the sexual aggression that was coming off the partner was so high. Um, not super, super common. Um, but, um, and I've often wondered, and Scott just mentioned it, um, 
I've yet to see it, but I suspect there will be a, a defence claim in court where someone claims Trent as mm. altering their mm. characteristic and behaviour, but I think there would need to be much more science behind it. Um, I hear it all that. the time, though. Like people make mm -hmm. use that, you know, they, they, they at least in their own mm -hmm. lives, they justify, oh, sorry, oh, babe, yeah. it wasn't me, it was the, the compound. Trend me. You know, yeah, 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 you hear that all the time. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's um, an easy excuse, but I do think there's some genuinity underneath there as well. We know it changes people's perception of risk. We've seen that. We also, and I don't know if you've noticed this, did you, I don't know if you've gone this far with the cross polymer stuff. But what I've seen is you introduce training to a cross polymer drug use, and all their drug use goes up. Mm. I mean, I would I would say there's definitely more polypharmacy among people that are using Tren. Uh, from a preliminary glance of the survey data, the people that were currently or had previously used Tren had tried significantly more in the last twelve months uh, other drugs. So mm -hmm. we're talking, you know, cannabis, cocaine, amphetamines. Um, again, haven't done the robust stats on that yet, but from a from a glance, they, they looked like there were group differences. Um, so I think, again, plays into that neurotoxicity, um, the locus of control, impulse. And I think, like, really, there was a few studies I read from um, about a decade back that spoke to the hedonic effects of steroids, and we don't really talk about that. We, you know, we we say they're not like traditional drugs; they you don't take them to feel good. In in rats, you know, rats will self-administer devolve um, until until they die. Um, so I think Wood and colleagues in two thousand and eight, um, and then Kaniyama and colleagues sort of made these these claims that there was a hedonic effect um, of of these substances. Um, and and perhaps for some, uh, and I know we're different than rats, but I think perhaps Tran might be one of the ones where there is some sort of hedonic pathway operating. I, I think there's a there's a psychological impact through any anabolic use because technically you're injecting liquid strength. Mm. I, particularly my early days of usage, um, injecting was quite ritualistic uh, because I genuinely felt like I was injecting a secret formula that was going to transform me into, a, you know, a Jekyll and Hyde almost type situation with formulation. So I think there's definitely psychological links there where people, and also the whole ethics not ethics the whole culture around the steroid use is all about more power more aggression you know all the terminology we use everything i mean you could give someone a bottle of trend that contained oil and i expect you'd see some trend effects in them because we've got such a strong link with these drugs for doing certain things and making us act in certain ways so i think there's definitely some um, placebo effect in there regardless of the drugs impact but it, it's uh, it's definitely a very unique compound, and I think a very so a, misunderstood compound. No, and I think from a social identity perspective, which is what I took up in in the the paper I published this year, um, or the, the preliminary piece, it was that this um, social identity, you know, in group attitude of I am a trend user now, propagates that myth. Propagates that myth through. Yeah community and then you know uh with that comes the the social norms um 
the the injunctive norms that relate to well now i better be aggressive and you know i better be um rude to everyone and i better um be snappy um because you know otherwise I'm, i'm not a trend user and i think there's a link there as well that that fits with that myth um uh, and propagates this this attitude around it that doesn't necessarily have to be there. Um, I could see or that, that we could do some work. We could do some work around that. I think, um, and that's where where health messaging comes in. I, I mean, I could see that. Yeah, but my personal experience with trend was no aggression whatsoever. I just got a little bit detached, and that was it. And I can be a cold asshole at the best of times. So. Um, and the only thing that came back from my missus was, you're a bit distant, you're a bit detached, and that's it. But I have genuinely in Sipu go completely off the rails on the smallest amount. Yeah. And, I mean, there's obviously underlying factors as well, and you can't psych screen every person that uses Trend to get a clear picture of what's actually happening with them. But uh, the, the, it's definitely got a little bit of a coming-of-age drug law to it. Yeah, you know, it really does. You're, use it now because you've used trend <laughs> yeah well the majority of people think they can't they ask us here you know can i do a contest prep without trend is that possible thinking that you must be on it in order to compete you know is people really do see it as being a necessity at this point i mean you'll see it with com clients you you see their mental health deteriorate those last four or five weeks when you drop trend in um, granted, there's a lot of other things going on as well, so it isn't singularly trend, but you do see this collective, the paranoia starts, the anxiety starts, you start getting the self-doubt, all these things start to creep in around their physique. Some of that is part of prep, yeah. but I, I, I can't I can't sit here and say that I don't feel that there is an influence there because I still feel there is. And it, it's, I think as a drug, it's so under-respected to a point that it's dangerous because it is so under-respected. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Before we, you know, got too much further into trend, I know that you do a bunch of other stuff, Tim. Um, I know you have a project coming up where you guys are actually starting to plan. You're going to test basically people's compounds for them and determine what's actually in the vial. Now, that hasn't started yet, right? For uh, ethics is provisionally approved. Uh, it'll be fully approved soon. We'll be starting in January. Super excited about this one. Uh, I think drug checking, uh, steroid checking is something that a lot of people can get behind um, because it's literally uh, harm reduction straight to the, the end user. If somebody has a, a bottle of, uh, you know, a vial of something that isn't what they wanted, and you can report that to them, they might not use that or they might change their usage practices um, around it based on that information. I think it's fantastic. And so Queensland in Australia became the second state to um, have the the government change policy around this. And we are uh, in a bit of a tender at the moment looking at who will uh, secure the the drug checking. Um, So my steroid checking project sits adjacent to that. Yes, Dave. <laughs> Send it me. Send it me. <laughs> we're, we're very close to being up and running. Amazing. Yeah, we've, we've, got, we've got consistency with compound detection now. We just need to get consistency with strength. So uh, you're, you're 
doing purity as well as presents. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you just doing presents? No, we've got, um, so I've gotten the forensic lab on board at the university. We're doing ev a full GCMS, full, um, LCMS, uh, full screening, uh, asking them for everything. Uh, they want to develop the methodologies as well. So from a, a logistics standpoint, could this potentially will... save you some time there, sir. Pardon? Could potentially save you some time there. Oh yeah. Spent a frigging fortune on developing methodology. Amazing. We might. I might have to shoot you a few emails back. In <laughs> oh god. <laughs> it's taken um, months. It's taken absolute months. But so, Tim, you'll but be able we, to determine more than just like, is there a compound in here and how much? You'll also be able to tell, like, is there mercury in this vial as well? That type of thing. Yeah. So we're doing excipients. Uh, so obviously heavy metals. Uh, we want the carrier um, oils. Uh, we want presence. We want purity um, and anything else that uh, the people in the lab can tell us. And based on that, um, and based on whatever else Dave wants to share, uh, which I'll happily, happily take uh, with credit, of course, um, we then want to deliver a harm reduction uh, intervention of sorts. So basically, we will have these vials dropped off at a number of uh, needle service provider sites So um, that I partner with. We will then... Uh, get those vials carted off. Uh, we've got a license for it now, uh, have them tested at the labs, and then I will get those results, make some uh, posters as well as social media posts, uh, and basically get that information out into the community. Uh, so aggregate results of so this lab, this test, um, the, all the tests that we tested, all the testee, all the DECA that we tested, uh, all the NPP, all the ev everything. Um, and then see how that information gets out into the community and then interview consumers users about whether that's changed how they're using the products um and also then if they haven't heard about it use the interview as an opportunity to give them some results um and see what they do with that information how does that change what they're doing uh, and i want to do about three iterations of that so 18 months of just ongoing um testing so I think um, that'll be that'll be really really interesting. I think it fits well in uh, in Queensland, fits well in Australia, fits well for UK. Um, I think it'll be really interesting. It's interesting too because everybody, I multiple people that I spoke to while in Australia had shared that in the past a lot of anabolics were fake; they were underdosed, and that. The, the people weren't really the, the companies weren't really held accountable and so this continued on for an extended period of time and since then things have gotten better and there is some good gear out there but i could see how this program could literally change the it, like the entire environment basically from the source starting from the source and working outward because if you start reporting that hey uh, these, this particular brand has a contamination in it or this particular brand is underdosing by 50%, then they're either going to have to get their act cleaned up or that word's going to spread and those people will be gone. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I've, I think this happens a bit on UGL forums and things like that. You know, we've got Genoshic uh, Analytical all, all out there and around there and there's a bit of um, 
we'll call it, you know, peer policing. Uh, in Australia, it's particularly tricky because, Dave, we're, we're not like you guys. We, we don't have the Class C framework, um, and particularly no, in Queensland. No. Yeah, well, yeah. I speak to Michael a lot, so I'm, I'm well aware of the, the problems around harm reduction and supporting users when it's Schedule 1 the way it is. Uh, and I believe that was originally put in place because it was decided that anabolics were part of the supply chain of the biker gangs. Mm. Correct. Um, and, and they've since sort of gone, right, but no one wants to take that step back and downgrade the truck. <laughs> So, and I mean, I've got a, a paper about to come out on this um, in the Journal of Criminology where I look at what what we can do to align ourselves here in Queensland better with that Class C framework because I think uh, I had a number of healthcare providers, so GPs uh, as well as needle service providers as well as um, people, men and women using steroids that said the biggest challenge, the biggest barrier is that legal uh the threat of punitive, um, and and here in Queensland particularly, it's it's aligned with heroin and methamphetamine. You can cop twenty five years in prison. Not that I've heard somebody get that for for one or two vials, but certainly the threat of it is enough to to really um, affect our harm reduction efforts. So I think, um, you know, definitely more interested in in how we can line up better with what UK, for example, is doing. I'm not saying that's the that's the end step, but I think that's a great first step. Um, and I think drug checking is one of the components in, in bringing that step forward. I think the, 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 the balance to satisfying the powers of legislation and the support of users and harm reduction is this, where you focus on the supply chain being the element of criminality and leave the users as non-criminal. That way the user's not persecuted and then harm reduction has a chance. Hmm. but you still satisfy the it's a drug, we need to ban it, we need to do it element that will huge pressure from that degree. I mean, we still face it in the UK every time we have a review. Um, that, well, at the end of the day, if we police the supply chains, we control the problem. So there's no argument then against having, well, why do you need to criminalise the user? All we need to do is police the supply chain, which is where the law already sits. Uh, and it's, I know lots of guys, well, we don't want to, as dealers getting bust. No, I get that. But to satisfy all parties, it does seem to work quite well. But it's it's constantly under pressure. Well, let me I ask. Think, oh, well, sorry, Scott. No, go ahead, please oh, go ahead. The only other thing I was going to add is uh, recently, uh, so I published a paper in Deviant Behaviour where I interviewed a manufacturer. Um, I was lucky enough to to have um, someone speak to me about the UGL and the processes. And I think it it really spoke to the fact that in Australia, it isn't just bikies manufacturing steroids. Uh, and that was a misconception. Hmm. Uh, and that really propagated that that Schedule 1 myth that has just hung around for, uh, for ages. And hmm. it keeps affecting harm reduction here. It keeps affecting linkage with those with lived experience and peers uh, and it's really um like, like you would have heard it's it's really entangled um rather than having uh an overarching public health strategy and an approach so disappointing right um 
Well, listen, uh, if if people wanted to follow I- any of your studies that you're publishing and whatnot, how can they keep up with this? Uh, few, so a few ways. Uh, obviously, I'll send you a couple of links, uh, Scott. Other ways, uh, Twitter, I'll, I'll send you, I'll give you a Twitter link. Um, okay, and a cool. lot of them that I post are open access um, as well, so free to, free to access for everyone. Um, I do that particularly because I think everybody should be able to read it um, and and sort of see what's what's going on. Um, and there's a few other few other ways uh, as well, and I'll send you those those links. Okay, I'll be sure to have that stuff in the description. So anybody who wants to check any of the studies out that are available publicly, they can check those out. And then, as far as any type of surveys that you're doing right now, currently, is there anything that you would like to ask people to participate in? 100% the Trendalone survey, if possible. I would uh, have heaps of current and previous trend users. Would love some more non-trend users. Uh, if I well, that's going to be hard to find on this show. It's going to be hard to find here. <laughs> I'm sure but we have some. The more, the merrier. The more, the merrier. Um, cool. Definitely. Cool. Dave, anything else you wanted to ask? Oh, I've got to fly, actually, unfortunately. But right. it's been lovely meeting you, Tim. And Perfect time. Yeah, I'll, I'll get that methodology stuff together for you. It might take me a few weeks. But I'll, I'll get on top of that and get that across to you because it'll save you. We spend months, so it'll save you a lot of time. Amazing. All right. Well, we appreciate your time, Tim. This has been really awesome. No, and I, I hope it's helped to educate people. Um, by the way, guys, uh, Tim and Victoria... And I uh, hung out with a guy named Gus Cook uh, in Australia. We did uh, a a podcast together basically around harm reduction. I'll be sure to put that in the link below. You can hear more from Tim there. And Gus has done a bunch of stuff with Tim. So there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube that you could check out if you want to hear more from him. And I'll have uh, all the links below to connect to the work you've done as well as to connect to the survey then. Amazing, Scott. Really appreciate that and really appreciate um, your time and the opportunity. It's great. Love talking about this stuff. Our pleasure. Thanks, so, Dave. guys, check out our, uh, our sponsors, of course, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, uh, supplementsource.ca. And, of course, Dave can't even hang out for two seconds. He said he had to go at 10 o'clock which is or in 10 minutes which is it's been three minutes anyway uh and of course go to our uh, patreon we appreciate everybody who helps to support our programming through patreon i'll have links to all that below screw dave don't go to dave for coaching dave can find his own clients from here but you can reach out to me mcnally diets at gmail.com we'll see you guys soon 